All right, best hour of their day. We are hitting a movement today. You know, we've done this in the past. We've looked at things like the med ball clean, the sumo deadlift high pull. And today we're going to focus on a really niche movement, the rope climb. Is it niche or niche? I go back and forth because you ever not sure how to pronounce a word so you go with both methods because you don't know which one is right and then you just sound dumb 50 percent of the time yeah like scenario and scenario no that is scenario it's yeah it's only scenario if you're an asshole <laughs> it's it's scenario if you listen to the tribe called quest um but but you know you and i were chatting briefly before this and and something that comes to my mind this day and age in crossfit is do all of these movements that we've looked at in the past need to still be done at the box level? You know, and we've touched upon it with things like the snatch. I don't think you remove those. Like, I'm not talking because they're complex. I'm just talking because is the risk worth the reward? I mean, I guess we could just look at data, right? So if we were to just reference the 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 very recent episode with Yuri Fato, like we, we know the injury rates are incredibly low. And we now know that higher frequency of attendance and exposure reduces risk of injury. So I don't know that we could box in any movement that we do and say like, hey, we, there's just no real need to do this anymore because the potential for injury is, exists there. Um, also, because there are, are certain movements that have probably more direct translation to the real world than others. Like the snatch is very little direct translation. We all know that. It's not functional in the sense that the squat is functional. It's just it's complex and develops more skills. But something like the rope climb, well, that is something that we are going to encounter. If you're spending any time outdoors and you're you know, getting into rock climbing and climbing trees. Like if you have kids, you know, we just installed a bunch of, you know, like hammocks and rings and other stuff in our upstairs room for our daughter. You know, she's climbing. I walked in there this morning at 7 a.m. She's hanging upside down in her legs with her legs in the rings, you know? So like these things actually do carry over to, um, to real life, like the rope climb. You know, when, when I say that, I mean more so in the sense that the injuries you could get from a rope climb are not the same as the types of injuries you would get from a functional movement. Yeah, you could tweak a knee in a squat. You know, you can, you know, bulge a disc deadlifting. But the rope climb, we see things like shins being destroyed coming down. Or I've seen numerous, I don't know if you've ever seen broken ankles because people come down on the rope. You know, and obviously a lot of those are avoidable, but... We see that, and you know, the other thing that comes to mind would be box jumps. You know, do we get rid of box jumps because people are getting their shins eaten a lot, eaten up? No. So this is the this is the the whole like, are we going to throw the baby out with the bathwater discussion? It's like, okay, because because somebody smashed their shin on a box and got stitches, being a human being and jumping is no longer appropriate. Like that's just a ridiculous statement, you know, and. Okay, so people tear their legs up on the rope. Well, 100% pre preventable, you know. So, so the same thing with like people coming down off the rope and spraining their ankles. 100% preventable. 
I mean, there's two very simple solutions. If your body's not covered where the rope rubs, you're not getting on the rope. If your ropes are too long, cut them. Both of those problems very easily solved. So uh, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like we shouldn't, the, and the risk of people falling off does exist, but I can't think of a scenario where somebody fell off a rope and we climb and have consistently climbed a rope in our affiliate uh, for 10 years. And it's literally never happened. Yeah, the falling off of the rope, that, I've never seen that. But I've seen numerous people break their ankle or, you know, or a bone in their foot. And I do believe, like you said, if you have ropes, you need to cut them. They should not be on the floor. And, you know, that was a great rule that you threw out too. If you're, if you're climbing ropes, the exposed part of your body that is coming down needs to get covered. And it's usually the shins. They sell all sorts of, you know, sleeves that you can throw on there. So assume we're keeping the rope climb. What practicality does it have at the box level? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's practical in the sense that, like, it's one of the few things that people are going to encounter in, in my mind, like, when they, leave the, when they leave the walls of the gym. You know, if they're doing anything outside that involves activity, you know, like, you're going to have to, at some point, like, pull yourself up off of the ground, whether it's via another human being or if you're out with your kids, if you're skiing behind a boat or something like that you're holding on to you know the handles to do some water skiing if you're climbing outside in the wilderness or a rock climbing like the rope climb is is not unnatural in my mind like it's a fairly natural human thing to to climb things i mean we we are basically like smart apes like and climbing is part of our dna I th and i think it's one of those movements similar to first pull up, first muscle up, first rope climb. People get really excited about it. And for a lot of people, myself included, I couldn't climb a rope until CrossFit. I mean, high school, I can never get up that rope in the wrestling room, um, you know, and in CrossFit, you're able to, and, and we'll dive a little bit into the techniques associated with it. But I think a lot of people, that's what CrossFit's all about, giving people those wins that they can take out into the real world. There's, there's few wins out there, but you get them at the box. Yeah. And then some of it is the black box theory, which is like, okay, so maybe they don't ever climb rope when they leave the walls of the gym, but their ability to climb rope tells me a lot about other things that they can be able, that they're going to be able to do. Um, and that's really the, the point. And that's the point of CrossFit in general. It's like, no, you're not going to need a snatch, but it does give me a glimpse into what your capacity is, what your mobility is and what your ability is going to be able to succeed in any number of different scenarios in the real world. So let, let's talk about it. You, you're a military guy. Did you have a lot of rope climbs in the military? Um, not a lot of ropes. So you will do some rope work uh, a little bit. I did a little bit of stuff um, in some helo training. So like uh, coming out of helicopters, but you're generally not climbing a rope into a helicopter. You're just climb. you're fast roping down a helicopter where I did quite a bit of climbing was in the first couple years in the Navy, um, I, I had a couple teams, and this is pretty common uh, if you're on a ship, is they have what are called BBSS teams, and they're uh, visit, board, search, and seizure. So it's kind of like maritime police where you'll go and you'll board other ships uh, and basically search them for drugs, weapons, human trafficking, stuff like that. And you'll have to climb caving ladders on a, on a fairly regular basis, which is like one of these kind of like little tiny wire ladders that kind of like you roll it up and you drop it down uh, you kind of seen them like in the old batman movies and stuff like that yeah um 
those can be pretty difficult to climb. Uh, there is technique that makes it a little bit easier, but that's primarily a lot of the climbing that I did in the military is like a lot of ladders, a lot of ladders getting in and out of, um, from small boats to larger boats. So when, when we talk about the challenge of climbing, most people teach one of two techniques, right? We talk about the, the S or the J, mm -hmm. which do you prefer? I think, so it depends on the athlete. So it's the, the S is safer because I, I have more contact and have more control of the rope. The problem is it's not incredibly efficient because it does require somebody to have better control with their feet of the rope. Uh, it's also going back to where we started with this, more contact points on the body. So it's going to be front of the shin, back of the shin, outside of the leg because it's a full wrap around your leg. Um, the other problem that presents is if somebody does kind of get a little loose in a rope, like that can create, uh, I have seen injuries in the military primarily where people got their leg caught in there. And basically like if you fall at a very precise, weird angle, like you can break your leg in the rope, like it, it can happen. But, um, the, we teach the J cause it's faster and that it's just faster. That's why we teach it. Well, what's that look like? I think that's one of the more challenging movements to incorporate into a class. You know, it's not, hey, everybody get a barbell because there's not enough ropes for everybody to use. So you can have a 16, 20 person class and maybe four ropes. I mean, how many ropes do you have at CrossFit Right? We have, we have six now. At one point we had nine. I'm trying to get back to nine. And then even if I do get nine, we'll make an adjustment. And I would like to have nine high ropes with a minimum of three low ropes. So if we're talking about logistics in the class, um, one thing, if somebody does not possess the, the upper body strength to get on a rope, they should not be climbing for any height. We should probably gonna be doing something that resembles that scaled version of, of laying on the floor, pulling yourself to a standing position and then doing that repeatedly to just develop some upper body pulling strength. So do you have a, on that point, do you have a minimum requirement? Do you have, whether it's, you know, expressed to your class or just something in your head, is it, hey, five strict pull-ups or is, is there something that you think of? Um, well, it's, it's kind of that, that limiter is built in. Like if you don't have pull-ups, you probably don't, can't climb rope because I do have to pull my body weight up there. Now we know that it's not a pull-up. You're not doing a legless rope climb. There's much more to do with your proficiency with your feet. Uh, but typically, we just don't see it. If somebody doesn't have pull-ups, they typically don't have rope climbs either. Like th those kind of go together. And is, would would you make that mandatory, or is it just kind of? I don't know that I'd make it. Yeah, it's self-regulating. I don't know that I'd make it mandatory because there are probably those one-offs who have figured out their feet and can climb ropes. So why hold them back? You know that, that that's not fair. Like the, the, it's kind of like the whole. You know, people have this same conversation about kipping pull-ups versus strict pull-ups. Now we know that we want to have the strength of the shoulder to do a strict pull-up, but to some degree, if somebody can do a kipping pull-up, I just want them to keep working on the strict pull-up. I'm not going to say, no, you can't do that during a workout. Like that would be, man, that would be really devastating for somebody who can do something. And you're just like, no, I don't want you to do it for no particular reason. So you mentioned you had nine ropes and now have six. Is it just because ropes are one of those pieces of equipment that ultimately deteriorate? 
No, so we had to we had to change some of the anchor points because uh, they were hanging. From, the landlord basically didn't want us hanging from certain rafters or rafters, so we had to move them. And then, so now they don't hang from rafters at all. We had some of the uprights built off of the pull-out rig that come out and over. And our ropes, so the top of the rope is probably 14 feet and the ceiling is about 15 feet. So they would have to climb essentially past the rope to get to the ceiling. And people who are proficient can do it. Um, but where I was going with this is depending, you, everybody can spend a little bit of change. Like they have like, I think the eight foot ropes that you don't even need a shackle for to shackle them to anything. Like depending on where your rig is and how it's set up, you can just, they all, Rogue sells the ones that come with the, the eye splice in it, which is that loop at the end of the rope that you would put a shackle on. You can just throw that over the rig, run the rope through that, that eye splice. And now that is a scaled station for the rope climb. You can have two or three of those in your gym. And what happens now is it cleans it up because now I don't have people who are doing scaled rope climbs on the high ropes and creating this big log jam for that movement. So, and I want to say those are fairly cost effective. So, um, and it gives you a lot of options. And when you're done with them, you just kind of push them over to the side, you know, up towards the upright, and then they're really out of the way. Like they're, they're not going to get in the way of anything. Yeah. And those are great for scaling options for a class, but also, you know, if you're listening and you have a garage gym where you don't have high enough ceilings, you can kind of mimic the pull of a, of a rope climb there. And like Fern said, it is a lot of legs, but you still get that grip strength going. And I've seen people that have rope climbs, but don't necessarily have a high attachment point, just do seated rope climbs because you know, you're going to get two to three to four pulls, depending on how high that, if it's nine feet and you start from a seated position, I mean, like you're going to get some work in there. So but going back to a class, I think rope climbs are often those things that don't get coached. And it's just like people are expected to develop it. You get the, ultimately you get some strength and you've learned how to rope climb. Do you ever set aside time in a class that has rope climbs? And, and also how often are you programming rope climbs to, to work on them? Um, probably at least two times a month we program rope climbs. I mean, I like rope climbs and I think it's a good skill to develop. And, you know, there is a specific amount of coordination, accuracy, and agility for talking about 10 general physical, physical skills required to climb a rope. So I, I think it's a, I think it's a necessary skill to develop. So we probably programming at least once or twice a month, or excuse me, at least two to three times a month. Um, and when we have rope climbs, yeah, we teach everything in a progression, you know, so our progression typically it doesn't always look like this, but it looks like, you know, everybody starts from that scaled version just to get the shoulders warmed up. So they lay on the floor, they pull themselves up. We just cycle through, we partner up. And then from there, there's a couple different ways you can start to teach the, the technical aspect of getting the feet sorted out. And um, one of the ways that I think is really beneficial, maybe not in a class, but you can do it in a class is have the person set up a box next to the, next to the rope. And what they're going to do is now we can have them hold onto the rope from a seated position and, and let them sort out their feet while not having to worry about holding themselves on the rope. Yes. I've seen so that. Can, I've seen that work really well. Yeah. So I, because largely why people get stuck is because they're, they're focusing so intently on holding themselves on the rope with their hands that it, they can't direct their attention to the feet to figure out what needs to happen there. So remove the strength requirement of holding yourself on the rope and just work on just the aspect of just practice getting your feet sorted out. So we'll play around with that for different people. And then we start with, um, with just one kind of pull, right? So regardless of who can climb the rope, everybody gets on the rope, 
they get their feet sorted out and they basically stand up once and then they come down. Cause all I'm worried about is like getting their feet sorted out. Do, can they establish a foothold that allows them to support their own body weight on the rope? Like that's the first thing I need to see. If they can't do that, we can't pass go. So we get to practice that and we'll do that two or three times. We'll cycle through. Then I'll start looking at, are they doing the, the legitimate inchworm where they pull their feet up one inch, they move their hands one inch. And it, now we're talking about 87 pulls to get to the top of a 15 foot rope climb. Or are, they, or are we starting to connect the dots between a movement like knees to elbow and how that transfers to a rope climb so that they can get to the top in one, two, or three pulls when it was previously taking them six pulls to get to the top. You know, and this is the old like, hey, why pay $10 for something that costs five? Well, it's because they don't know how the movement should be performed. You know, that's why guys like Rich Froming, Matt Frazier are so efficient because it's one pull to the top, not because they're six foot eight, but because they jump, they leave their arms long, they pull their feet all the way to their chest, they stand up. For, so for somebody who's six feet tall can put their hands over the head, that's, you know, eight feet. They jump, we're at nine feet, they pull their feet up, and now I'm at 15 feet in one pull because I've just reduce the number of times I need to do execute that skill. So we start ingraining that in there and starting to get skill transfer from things like toes to bar. One thing I've had people do is like get on the rope climb, do three knees to elbows from the rope. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, with everything you're saying there, that's why for a lot of scaling options, we've incorporated knee to elbows in that rope climb. And whether you do a, you know, a, I've seen different things as far as the grip. Some people do a maybe a 10 second hang and then some knee to elbows or a couple of strict pull-ups or, you know, a, a great one that Fern touched upon. And maybe just to make sure it was clear is people actually lying on the ground, grabbing mm -hmm. the rope and then pulling themselves up to standing is a great scaling option. But yeah, you see, I mean, everybody remembers, maybe not everybody. We're, we've been around CrossFit a long time, but what in 2010 rope climbs cost Rich Froning the games. Yeah. Because he was just using his arms and his arms blew up. Yeah, I think he actually broke his ankle. He did get injured. I don't remember if it was ankle. I, I actually think it might have been a back or a pelvis injury. Well, I think he just fell. He did it fall. It was, yeah. it was a pretty awful fall, by the way. Yeah, but then, you know, he came back the next year, and the very first workout of the CrossFit Games was, I believe, clean and jerks and rope climbs, you know, subtitled Rich's Revenge, and he won that event. So, clearly – something it's it's a skill you need to work on and all the things that Fern just touched upon are important now are there ways in which you make it more challenging for your members obviously we watch the games or you know sanctionals and we're seeing legless rope climbs or these higher ropes what are some of the things you do at the box level well before I make it difficult I think it'd be better to talk about those people who are in the middle Right. So people who like are starting to develop the rope climb, but like maybe, you know, for instance, 15 feet is not an option. So we treat the rope climb pretty much how we treat everything else, which is if you've got the skill in any capacity, that's what we're doing. So when I would give the wad brief, I would brief it this way. Guys, if we can climb the rope, that's what we're going to do. You're going to go as high as you can come down safely. So if that's one pull and you come down, cool. It's still a rope climb. It's just an eight foot rope climb instead of a 15 foot rope climb, but it's still a rope climb. So, um, so first thing we'll adjust is the height, um, to try to get that. And the second thing we'll adjust is the volume. So something like 
we just did a variation of Tommy V recently, which is 27 row climbs. Class, my- classic hero workout that you don't really see that often. And it's, I remember, uh, I remember running that at Albany CrossFit. There's a video out there on YouTube somewhere, but yeah, the members were just loving. We had like two ropes and there was just a line of people waiting to rope climb, but yeah, great workout. Um, and, and that's one of my favorite workouts of all time. You know, like I think, like the the day I did that workout in like under ten minutes, I like threw a party for myself. It was like the greatest thing ever. But it's thrusters um, and rope climbs, right? Yeah. So it's twenty one yeah. fifteen nine thrusters at um at one fifteen, and then twelve nine six rope climbs. Right. And um, but yeah, I I'm I'm a fan of both movements, right? So it's kind of, that would be something that would like fall on my wheelhouse: thrusters and rope climbs. But um, so we put it in there, and then so for some people who can climb rope, I'm like twenty seven that's a lot of rope climbs. Like, I don't give a shit who you are. Like that is a lot of rope climbs. So what we'll do is we'll adjust the volume for those people. Like just typical scaling. Hey, 27 is not good for you, but let's try to get something that looks like 15. Right. So that again, like if we have the skill, don't scale down to a, to an easier movement, scale the volume, scale the height until they can start to get more proficient. And when you exercise both of those two scaling options, people tend to get things like that much faster. Is there a movement in CrossFit? that you think has gained as much efficiency over the years as the rope climb? Meaning it's one of those movements that from 2000, say let's go 2006 to 2020 now, what movement has made the most progress? I'd have to say rope climbs is up there. I mean, in 2006 and seven, even the best were doing hand over hand, you know, lifting your knees a little bit. We're like you said now, Frasers and Fronings are doing one pull. Like, are there any other movements that have that type of growth? I mean, you've brought I mean, up things like the snatch and like you've mentioned so things like the snatch in the past. Like the snatch, the snatch is definitely one. I mean, the fact that we, I could you know, swing a dead cat and probably find somebody around here that snatches two seventy five is is comical, um, but. The rope climb's definitely up there. I mean, when they did that in regionals, whatever it was, two years ago, and guys were doing Tommy V in eight minutes. That's just – and just so that we can have a little context here, that's eight minutes, and they were having to travel back. This is not eight minutes where my barbell's next to my rope. Yeah, they were running up and down the field of play. They were running, they were running down the field of play, which is just mind-blowing. And this is where guys like, you know – um, Elijah Muhammad are doing like, he's not even doing a full, like one pull. He's doing like a half a pull. He's got like a 36 inch vertical and just taps the top. But um, yeah, I mean, people are incredibly efficient at that movement and not just the males. Cause that's how it was in the beginning. Like, but now the females are crushing regular rope climbs, legless rope climbs, you know? And that was, I mean, if you think about the CrossFit games this past year, like the rope climb, oddly enough, was like the separator in that first event, event. Yeah. In the first event. Like there were literally people who, who literally never got to see the barbell. I think I've told the story on the podcast, but I judged the fittest from India. I think he got one, maybe two. And then I just sat there watching him fail for the next, you know, 17 minutes. Yeah. And we're talking about doing, what was it? Two legless rope climbs. I think it was three. I think they ran 403 and then the snatches. And then the snatches, which I think You're right. It might have been two. I don't remember. It was either two or three. Like We could agree that it wasn't a ton to, to, to get through round one. You know? Correct. 
And then, so people, I mean, yeah, I would say that one has made tremendous strides, but still clearly people got a ways to go there, you know? Well, and I think also unique to the rope climb at the competition level is you've seen this evolution of, you know, intensity or skill, however you want to define it. But it went from, hey, here are ropes, climb them. And then it became like, here are ropes, you know, you have to control yourself up and down. And then it went to legless. And now there's, before legless, there was the short ropes, which meant you had to do like a couple legless pulls into a regular rope climb. Yeah. And now it's just like, hey, straight up. It's just cool to see the fitness evolution in the world. Well, it's also, I mean, people, most people don't know this, but like rope climbing rope is a, has been a staple of gymnastics for years. Like you're not going to walk into uh, a gymnastics facility that doesn't have a rope where they practice pulling from seated and L positions just to establish midline stabilization, you know, and, and core strength. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an incredibly valuable skill, but I, again, like most things and what we want try to get people to do is like, people suck at rope climbs because a, they don't do them frequently enough. And then B nobody's teaching them how to do it. And I, there's some really old, I mean like old videos. If somebody can find these in the journal archives of Adrian at CrossFit San Francisco doing Adrian Bosman doing some like rope climb tutorials. So if somebody can find those, like pull them up and then if you can post it, tag us on it. But like, there's some old stuff in there that like you can go back. That's super valuable. And he talks about the S versus the J. Um, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about the feet. So like, what's your, what's your, what do you, do you use the S or the J? I use the J, but in, in full disclosure, I'm not great at rope climbs and I just kind of do what comes naturally with my feet accidentally, but it's the J when I first learned it was the S and like you said, it's, cumbersome you have to kind of throw your leg around and try to catch the rope again now i use the j and um i've gotten a little bit better at, at them i can do them in a workout i don't blow up but there's still something that they're they're challenging and like you said i think part of it is most people myself included you only touch rope climbs you know once or twice a month when they come up and i'd say more boxes than not don't program them might not even have ropes yeah. So, and if you're going to teach it, one of the big things from a, from a coaching aspect, what should I be looking at? Well, the big thing is the feet. And one of the biggest errors, uh, if you're watching the video version of this, you'll be able to see this, but imagine um, just put one foot on the floor and then literally put your other foot on top of that foot. So take the sole of your right foot and just place it on the shoelaces of your left foot. That's a fault right? If I'm, if I'm doing rope climbs, having one foot on top of the other is a fault. The reason for that is there's physics involved here. And this is what we would describe as like, I'm, if, if you think what would happen if the rope went between my feet, it would do about a 45 degree angle change, right? So as it comes under one foot, that's standing on top of the other one, it does about 45 degree before it kind of drops off the other side. Right. So if I'm doing the video, like my feet would be here and the rope would come in and then come out the other side. Like if you've spent any time on boats, you've heard the term bite, right? So the bite is I want the rope to be taut and I want there to be as much friction on the rope as possible. So I want there to be a bite on that rope and then to have the best bite in that position for a J, it's called a J because that's the shape. The rope's going to do a full 180 degree change of direction. And I can only do that if the, my feet are side by side 
not stacked on top of each other. If right, the rope on, actually changes direction and starts to come back up under the uh, other foot. Yeah, yeah. so it goes under one foot and then over the other foot because my feet are next to each other. And that 180 degree turn or that bite that I now have on the rope is what allows me to have a secure foot placing on the rope. If my feet are on top of each other, these are the people that put their feet in, they lock them in, and then they push down with their feet and then their feet just slide down the rope. And it's because they don't have the bite on the rope that they need. So that's the first thing I would look at is just like, do can people get their feet sorted out? And these are the folks that you want to have them practice from a seated position. Just making sure that like they're getting their feet next to each other, not on top of each other, and they're squeezing their feet together. On the way up, my feet should be like really, really tight the whole time. And then when I come down, I just take them apart. And now I can control the speed of the descent just based on how far apart my feet are. Right. The further apart, the more you'll slow down. Uh, yeah, it kind of depends. But like as soon as I separate, I'm going to lose that bite. So now I'm going to start to be able to like slide down the rope a little bit. And that's where you see people throwing on the shin guards or pulling their socks up or wearing pants to protect that rubbing on, on the shin. I mean, if you're listening to this and you're excited and you're thinking about adding some to your programming or doing some yourself, careful of that. I've seen some nasty rope burns that can lead to things like staph infection and, and MRSA yeah. and, and, and worse. So, so really be aware of that. And at the yeah. box, I mean, ropes are hard it's to clean. Gross. Yeah. It, you're not going to clean them for the most part. It's gross. Like you don't want people's DNA getting on other people. And um, so on that note, just spend the extra money to go buy like a, like a dozen pair of like soccer socks or high knee socks and just keep them at the gym or like some real, real cheap, like the, uh, not the shin guards, but like the shin compression sleeves so that, you know, if somebody can climb rope, you know, our rule is like, if it's not covered, you don't get on the rope. So we'll just, we've got extra stuff sitting around the gym that people can use or wear pants or socks, or a lot of people will throw a knee sleeve on. Like I wear a knee sleeve now. I just throw it on. I know exactly where it rubs. I just basically let that knee sleeve sit at the bottom of my ankle and it takes care of it. So, but if it's not covered, they don't get on the rope because they're going to get burned. It's now it's gross. I've got, I've got all sorts of weird potential stuff that could happen. Um, and having that extra friction on the leg is going to help climbing, right? Like the, the, the more friction I have there, the better off I'm going to be. So it's, it's actually going to help you climb rope a little bit. So you, you, you mentioned the, you know, the foot being stacked. Is there anything else as a coach that you look for while your athletes are, are doing rope climbs other than safety precautions, you know, keeping your hands on coming down under control, you know, coming yes. down low enough that you're not going to fall to your death. But are there any other things that you look for? Yeah. So there's, there's two big ones that I think are, are really inhibit people from climbing the rope. So the first one is just getting their feet sorted out. So if they, if they can't get their feet sorted out, everything is hard. I have to rely on my arms even more. And generally these come together and it'll make sense here in just a second. But so if I don't get my feet sorted out, then my arms have to do more work. And there's limitations of that. And once my arms blow up, I'm not climbing any more rope. We've all seen that competition where like they're literally just can't pull anymore. The other one has to do with the arms and you see people who are climbing the rope and they, and they're consistently in that 90 degree bend of the elbow, right? So they never actually extend their arm and reach up the rope. So it would be the equivalent of doing pull-ups and never getting the elbow to full extension. So every time you came down, you stopped a little bit short. It's so much more difficult that way. Like basically the way we all used to do pull-ups. Yeah. And you'll trash your bicep tendon. Right. So that's the other thing is getting people to really reach up the rope 
and instead of hanging and getting their feet sorted out from this bent elbow position, have them hang from a straight arm position because now they're going to be able to stay on the rope longer because their biceps are not doing other work. Now it's just my grip. So that's where doing drills like the hanging knees to elbow from the rope will teach good arm position on the rope so that my arms are extended and long, giving my biceps a break versus holding myself in this position. So when we go through the progression and we do that one pull, we'll have them jump them on the rope, hang with long arms, pull their feet up, get their feet locked in, stand. And then the last step is reach again, just to set the next pull. So they get in the habit of like, because what they'll do, if they don't do it, they'll stand, they'll move their hands, one hand grip up and not cover any distance on the rope. Mm -hmm. You know, if you reach your arms up the rope, you're going to cover an additional two feet and then repeat that process. So first one is the feet. The second one is make sure people are reaching up the rope, getting long arms because I'm trying to reduce the number of pulls they need to get to the top. Well, like you mentioned earlier, real world application. Now that I live out in Boulder, Colorado, I have to do Boulder, Colorado things. And one of those is rock climbing. And it's, you know, the same principle. Like you don't want to constantly be in that flexed elbow position. You want to stand, you know, and, and really that, that rope climbing and rock climbing, it's all about just continuing to do knee tucks or knee to elbows and standing up again. Yeah. If, if you do it well, your grip, it's going to get tired, of course, but it's not going to be the limiting factor. It will take significantly longer for that to happen. Like the, like the, the volume now is the, is the, is the issue. Yeah, it's, it becomes your, your metabolic you know, system. Yeah. yeah. So those are the two big ones. Those are the two like real, real big issues that I see people have with the rope climb is they can't get their feet sorted out and they haven't figured out that you know, think of, I like to teach people, think of it as in it as an inchworm, you know, that the inchworm like scrunches up and then it lengthens out. Like, that's what I want to be doing on the rope. I don't want to do like 15 little short, um, extensions. I want to do a full extension and then get to the top in one to two pulls. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what would be cool is if you listen to this episode and you've decided to test out some of these theories yourself or incorporate them into your own programming, which by the way, rope climbs will be in the best hour programming and there will be progressions yep. and there will be, you know, things to be looking for, which is coming out really any day now. Right. Yep. Yeah. We're just waiting on a couple of things, but it's, uh, it's ready to go. We're just waiting on a couple of the platforms to get um, sorted out. And those of you that have emailed us about it, you know, we've gotten back to you, but if you're still interested in learning more best hour of their day at gmail.com, or of course on our Instagram, you can DM us, but we've got a lot of great stuff coming out. We're going to, I think we're, we've already changed the landscape of the CrossFit podcast. Now we're going to do the same with programming. Well, I listen, I'm just glad that you're back to saying outlandish shit in 2020 to, oh. to pick up where we left off. <laughs> By the way, as we wrap up this episode. Can we talk about last night? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which people have no idea. But anyway. You know, we, we are getting these clips from the road trip and our video guy, Nate, is putting this together, together the episodes, but then also sending us small clips, you know, for social media. So if you see these small clips, you know, our video guy, Nate, is, is putting them together. And there we went to a box. We went to Hammer Driven CrossFit, which was one of my, I mean, they were all great, but, you know, we had a unique experience there where Steph Hammer took us through a workout as adaptive athletes. Fern, you went through it kind of like with one arm. Yep. I was basically being a stouty essentially like, or no Logan, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Logan. 
Uh, 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 minus the fact that he cleans more than you with one arm. Way more, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I was in a wheelchair, and it was a fucking challenge. Yeah. So then, at some point, first of all, I was I don't like to watch myself on video, but I was Roz was like, "What are you doing? You're laughing and crying at the same." I was laughing so hard. So I was honestly a little worried about that episode because you were so disruptive. <laughs> I was, I was truly worried. I was, I was thinking to myself, this is going to be horrific. Well, the one clip where you're like, I'm stuck with this idiot. That was my <laughs> favorite clip. But the other clip is at some point I challenged Steph Hammerman to a race. And I'm racing her, like, you know, in wheelchairs, and she's beating me. And I, I thought my arms were blowing up because I'm not familiar with being in a wheelchair. And then I watched the video, and Fern has somehow not only latched on, but you positioned yourself in a way that I couldn't see you. <laughs> and I was like, you know, basically going against resistance. Still, so still almost beat thought, Steph, by the way. If, Steph, if you're listening, I still not, not even close. I was I was never gonna let it happen. So if you're struggling, if you're struggling to to kind of envision, so Jay challenges Steph to a race, and I'm just not gonna let him win. So he kind of passes me, and then I kind of scoot behind him, and then I just hold on to the back of the chair like a brake. But he has no idea I'm back there. And we filmed this in November, and Nate and I did not tell him this because I was. Did you guys was, like talk about it behind my back? One hundred percent. Yeah, we. I, I I committed. I was like, I am not going to tell you this. I want you to see this on your own and then then realize what happened. And the funny part is well, hearing you talk and you're like, man, this is really hard. I think my chair stuck. That's why I was laughing so hard because you had literally no idea I was behind you. Well, you know, A, I'm not familiar with being in a chair and B, as Steph was teaching us, there's like all sorts of chairs and different things. I'm like, well, maybe this just isn't like a fast chair. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, it was, that, it's going to be a great episode because A, it is, yeah. like you said, I'm very disruptive. But B, we learned a ton. Like as, as goofy as we were, it was eye-opening to what some of these adaptive athletes go through but also can do. Yeah, and the – just so everybody – I don't – have we announced the date? So the first episode is going to drop January 14th. Oh, yeah. We, uh, well, we're, we're recording this on the 7th, so a week from yeah. today. Yeah, a week from today, the first episode will drop, and uh, I'm I'm stoked because these episodes are going to be anywhere between like 15 to 20 minutes long um, of, and they're going to be jam packed with content, like different things about gym logistics and how you set up your gym and coaching and programming and just all sorts of stuff. So I, I think uh, I think people are going to enjoy it and uh, and not only be entertained, but but. I think there's a decent amount of education in there too. So um, I, I'm really stoked about it. I'm, I'm real. We've only seen five of the episodes, I think. Yeah. Uh, so five far. So far. Yeah. There's gonna and, be ten. and what's really cool too is you, you would think that we go to 10 boxes and there's a lot of repeat, you know, knowledge, but really every box is so different that you, you, you we gain something new and, and really different lessons for the, for the listeners to check out or, or for the viewers to check out and that every box is so unique that there's different things that we can talk about. Yeah. I, what's cool is I was a little worried that there was going to be, a, it was going to be the same, but there's, there's almost, 
there's little to no redundancy from episode to episode about like yeah. what we discuss and what we see and, and what we and what we do there. So uh, yeah, I think I think it's going to be really really cool. So check it out, January 14th. That'll launch uh, on YouTube. If you got any feedback for us, send it our way. Affiliate programming probably be launching around that same time. And then and uh, if you're listening to this, the best hour of their day book just came out today. Well, today is the true. seventh. So I check that no, out. I had no part in that. So it'll be probably just okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's one of my favorite. I don't know if you remember this way. This is way back when we were working a seminar together and I don't remember, like usually we'll give a lecture and we might be like, how did it go type of thing to, to our colleagues, you know, to the other people. And you were like, adequate <laughs> and i was like and i stole that i use that line all the time i was like yeah that was adequate it's like yeah. such a it's such a word that's like it just kicks you in the balls you know it was you covered the material um so all yeah, right well the, hopefully uh, and if yeah. you don't want to miss those episodes go to our youtube channel right now and subscribe best hour of their day uh we put up every podcast like fern said earlier and and we'll be putting up these clips we'll be putting up the full episode so you want to check that out yeah and then if you haven't registered for what on the waves i'm almost positive that's going to sell out so use code best hour uh we'll be doing some stuff there running classes doing some uh mentor stuff there too so it's going to be really really cool yeah i'm excited for it i mean and we posted earlier on our instagram how they were named to like one of the top vacations by forbes magazine that's a yeah. pretty big deal use the yeah. code best hour and uh, you'll be entered, you know, to attend some private stuff from Fern and I. Yep. Cool. So, really cool. We'll see you guys there. But thanks for listening. Hopefully that helped and gave you some insight into the rope climbs. And we're excited for a, a big 2020 for best hour of their day. Thanks again for listening to best hour of their day. Just a reminder, Fern and I have an amazing new show called Dropping In premiering on our YouTube channel in early 2020. Be sure to head over to the Best Hour of Their Day YouTube channel now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes. You've probably heard us talking about it, summarizing some of our trip. You can see some highlights up on our Instagram as well, at Best Hour of Their Day. But I promise you, you're not going to want to miss out. So subscribe now. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for letting us be a part of your lives. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Tune in tomorrow for another episode of Best Hour of Their Day.